Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. This morning's scripture is from Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us also, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Jenny. And good morning and welcome again uh, to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Now, when I was given permission uh, to delay our Advent sermon series a week and choose a text to preach from on my last day here at Redeemer Lincoln Square, really there was no question in my mind that the word for us this morning would come from the passage that was just read for you. See, my journey towards becoming a Christian really began in earnest while I was in college uh, with a question. Is there a conviction that is out there that could stare down the worst of what this life has to offer and come out on the other end victorious? To take on the world's suffering, violence, and injustice, and allow you to live through them, not just with a begrudging sense of acceptance, but with a defiant sense of joy and peace. Now, you know this if you went through any form of tragedy in your life. You know that this question is not just a philosophical one, but really a matter of practical significance. And the conviction that we see here in this passage from the Apostle Paul, who said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words were instrumental in bringing me into the Christian faith. 
Why? Because here we have the answer to the question that I'd been asking all along. And the answer is found in the inseparable love of God in Christ Jesus. And when that became my conviction was when I'd say I became a Christian. But you know, since sharing this conviction with Paul, of course I've had my doubts about Christianity. But I said, you know, as long as this conviction holds true, I know that this is what will carry me through and keep me going. But you know, even with these convictions, these doubts that we have along the way, they're all, and especially during the challenging seasons of life, we know that they're, they're, they're real, right? They do wear us down. We may have bursts of enthusiasm and joy that comes from this conviction time and time again, but it's constantly under assault. It's constantly under assault. They wear us down. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Screwtape Letters, uh, for those of you that may know, uh, may not know, uh, it's a book uh, of letters where a senior devil is instructing a junior devil, who happens to be his nephew named Wormwood, on how to tempt and draw Christians away uh, from God. And in that book, here's, here's what he says. You see, it is so hard for these creatures, right, us human beings, it is so hard for these creatures to persevere. The routine of adversity, the gradual decay of youthful loves and youthful hopes, the quiet despair, hardly felt as pain, of ever overcoming the chronic temptations with which we have again and again defeated them, the drabness which we create in their lives, and the inarticulate resentment with which we teach them to respond to it, all this provides admirable opportunities of wearing out a soul by attrition. See, our souls are constantly under assault, and many times in ways that we can't quite pinpoint to what it is. Right? It doesn't need to be one tragedy after another to wear us down. For many of us, as we enter into this last month of a year that just seems to never end, I think I saw online somewhere where it said... Um, for those of you that, that have read uh, Chronicles of Narnia, I might get this. It says, we're living in a world where it's always 2020, but never Christmas. <laughs> we're tired. And as we enter into a season of Advent, we're waiting for this love to come. But for many of us, we have doubts on whether this love is worth waiting for. See, what this passage shows us this morning is that the love of God is not passive. It doesn't need your defense. This love of God is battle-tested, it is rugged, and is able to withstand the assaults of life. You know, just as a beautiful piece of leather, right, through aging and through the various scars reveal more and more of its unique beauty, the love of God shows its beauty and sweetness all the more, as we'll see, as it withstands and triumphs over the trials of life. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to draw two sources of where these assaults of our souls come from, 
And through those things, see how the love of God addresses both of them. So two points for today. First, we'll take a look at the assault from the inside. And secondly, we'll address the assaults that come from the outside. The assault from the inside and the outside. So first, assault from the inside. Now for the first point, I'd love for us to look at verses 31 to 34. The first half of the passage there. And you'll notice there that there's a a series of rhetorical questions that Paul is asking. And through his choice of words, what he's doing is he's drawing out the imagery of a courtroom. Do you see that there? Paul says, uh, who uh, can be against us? Who will bring any charge against you? Who is the one who condemns? And what Paul is doing is he's speaking into a situation in which with every child, with every instance of suffering and tragedy and difficulty, what we do is we tend to put ourselves in the defendant's chair where we say, if life isn't turning out the way I think it should, right, there must be something that is wrong with me. And because there's something wrong with me, God must be against me. And what we tend to do is we say, let me list these charges against me so I'll know that I'll be proven guilty and condemned, again, because there is something wrong with me. And to that, here's Paul saying, in essence, why do you keep putting yourself in the defendant's chair? And then we see him pointing to the prosecutor's table and asking, do you see anybody there? Who can be against you, Paul is saying. No one. Who will bring charges against you? No one. Right? Who is the one who condemns? No one. Can't you see the judge has already laid down the verdict and you are not guilty? The trial is over. You're free. Go home. Now, why does Paul feel the need to hammer this point home over and over again? Well, it's because even though we may intellectually believe that the trial is indeed over, right, that the prosecutor's table is empty, we still, we still can't shake the habits of our hearts in setting up one accuser after another, right? Whether it's an idea of where you should be in your career or the expectations that your family has on you or the number that you see in your bank account or maybe... You think that you, you know, where you think you should be in your relationship with God, whatever the standard may be, this is what we do. We are constantly on the defensive trying to prove ourselves innocent and worthy. As Michael mentioned, I moved to the city 10 years ago. And during that time, you know, through RUF and through Redeemer, I've been ministering in and around Redeemer for the past 10 years. And I'm probably one of Less than a handful of pastors who, for the majority of the time, never actually lived in Manhattan while serving a church that is obviously in Manhattan. And the truth is, if I'm being honest with you, we could never afford to live here. And so in various times, we lived out in Queens or various parts of New Jersey around Manhattan. And I remember for the longest time, I'd often compare myself to other pastors at Redeemer, and I'd say... You know, if I really love the city, if I really love the city, man, I'll be living in Manhattan. And you know, once I let that voice into my heart, right, everything else just follows, right? What's, what's wrong with me, I would ask. 
And I would say, well, if I was better in managing my finances, if, if I was a more responsible husband or a father, I'll be able to provide for my family a life in Manhattan. Or if I was more dedicated, if I was a more dedicated Christian, it would be okay for me to move my family of three at the time to live in a small studio in Manhattan. If I was just godly enough, I would take it. See, it's a never-ending spiral that we go on. We set up one arbitrary standard after another, and we prop them up on the prosecutor's table and let them accuse us. Whether that's our own voice that we're listening or the voice of the enemy, we gave way to these accusations. We lock ourselves in the prison of comparison, of guilt, and shame. And I'm willing to bet that if we were to trace the source of many of our ambitions, that this is where we'll find ourselves, a defendant on trial, desperately, with every move we make, trying to prove our way towards the innocence that was already confirmed for us. But to that, what does Paul say? Let's go through these questions quickly. He says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? Now, that first part of the phrase can be translated, if God is on our side. So, he's asking, what if you knew that the most powerful being in the universe was on your side of the battle and standing in for you and fighting for you? What would that do to a sense of your confidence? And he goes on, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now at this point, if there was any question over the intentions of God and allowing difficulties into your life, Paul here digs deeper into the question and makes his case. In essence, what Paul is saying is, if God was willing to not spare his own son, but was willing to put him through the pains of hell to give you his eternal favor and approval and acceptance, you think now, having done that, he's going to now withhold his goodness from you? Is that how you're going to make sense of the trials in your life? Think about it this way, right? If I were to shell out like half my paycheck to take my wife out, for a nice anniversary dinner. If I shelled out that much money, you think now, at the end of the meal, I'm going to skimp on dessert? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's Paul's point. Because see, no matter what happens in your life, if you look to Jesus on the cross, he's saying one thing that you can't say is that God is looking to punish you, that it is an indication of his disapproval of you. He's saying God's goodness will follow you all the days of your life. He'd already given his son to you, which means that there was nothing that he's willing to hold back to work for your good. See, maybe some of you, you feel like your life may be on repeat. And you're saying, all I'm ever doing is wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Thinking, this is, wow, this is all I'm ever going to be. But what Paul is saying is this. This is so profound. You ready? God is making a karate kid out of you. Some of you got that, okay? (laughs) Paul is saying, 
you can trust in this God. That he has a good and perfect plan for you. Why, why wouldn't he? He was willing to send his son for you. No way in hell is he now going to withhold his goodness from you. That's what Paul is saying. But let's keep going. He, he asks, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He's saying the one who is judge and jury over the entire universe and specifically over you has already laid down his verdict. He's saying this trial that you could keep putting yourself on, it was over before it began. You're already free. You are already vindicated, pronounced innocent. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's saying you have a Savior who died to take on every last excuse you have in condemning yourself. But not just that, he rose victorious over every one of them and now reigns over all of your circumstances so that, as John Newton once said, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. And as if that's not enough, he now continues, Paul saying, to intercede for you just so that you may know for certain that there is nothing in the entire universe that dares to condemn you now. Now, do you see what Paul's doing here? With all of these questions, when your conscience, friends, is under assault, Paul is saying, don't go on the defensive. Paul is showing us, no, go on the offensive. He's barraging you with these questions that lead you to what the truth of where you stand with God. And see, this is the weapon of choice for the Christian in the fight for your soul. Right? When the walls are closing in and the ceiling is collapsing, what do you do? You brace yourself and pound what you know to be true into your heart. Paul is saying, don't play defense here. Play offense with the truth. Let me, let me cipher you another quote here from uh, Screwtape tape Letters that I found to be so helpful. And again, this is uh, the senior demon who is speaking. And he says, I need to tell you something about truth, Wormwood. It's our kryptonite. We know the truth well because we twist it all the time. You've been trained to tell her the opposite of what her soul truly needs. Do you know what happens when she starts to value truth over what you say? She starts believing it. And you can guarantee some of the lies you've been telling her for years will be completely powerless. And this is the line that just floored me. He goes on to say, she, She's so much more powerful than she knows, Wormwood. But she cannot know that. As long as we convince her she's powerless, we've got the power. And friends, for so many of you, you have no idea how powerful you are. You've beaten yourself, beaten yourself down over the years uh, so much that no matter how much you hear about God's love week in and week out, 
and from others, it doesn't really move the needle for you. But here, in this passage, Paul is shaking you and saying, don't you know that the lies you've been telling yourself about the goodness of God and about your worth are lies? And he's saying, here's the truth. You're loved. You're loved with an inseparable love. You're loved with a love beyond degree. And he's pounding that truth into our hearts. And friends, that's the love of God that has a power to withstand the assaults and accusations from the inside. So that's the first point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. But let's go over the second point because there's also the assaults that we face uh, from the outside. Now, for this point, let's take a look at the second half of the passage here from verses 35 to 39. And Paul begins this section by asking the last rhetorical question and really hones in on the answer for the rest of uh, the chapter. He asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And then he quotes Psalm 44. You see that? For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, when Paul quotes this psalm, you can't help but think that he internalized that passage as his own story. Because we know about his story, don't we, from 2 Corinthians 11? Right? He's, he's saying, you know, I had to work harder than any of the other apostles. Right? I went through countless imprisonment, beatings. I was often near death. Right? He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, Gentiles. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have been cold and naked. And you read this and you ask, how is this dude even alive? He must have been a wreck. If anybody knew suffering, difficulties in his life, it was Paul. But notice, here's what Paul says. In spite of all of your circumstances that can assault you from the outside... Paul has the audacity to look at himself and the churches that he's writing to and to us and to say we are more than conquerors. And I want to focus on these words, more than conquerors. Because, you know, at this point, it would have been enough for Paul to say that these things won't have the last say. He could have said, in spite of these things, you'll be victorious someday. Right? There will come a day when all wrongs will be made right. Everything will be fixed. So everything's going to be okay. You're going to stand as a conqueror, right? That would have been comfort enough. But Paul isn't satisfied with being a mere conqueror. When he thinks about the love of God, 
in Jesus. He knows that he is more than that. So he makes up a word. Literally, the phrase more than a conqueror is one word called super conquerors. You're, you're more than a conqueror. You're a super conqueror. He's saying more than conquerors are we because of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Now here's the question. What in the world does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Now, at this point, uh, John Piper, who taught on this passage, he put it so well. So let me uh, borrow from his insight. He says, when you are more than a conqueror, after the battle is over, you are standing as victor. But when you look around you, you don't just see enemies who have fallen on the ground. That's a mere conqueror. But if you're more than a conqueror, he says, you see those very enemies who have fallen dead on the ground spring back to life and begin to serve you. See, what Paul has in mind here is what he says just a couple of verses up in verse 28. You know that famous verse? Where he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's saying if you place your trust in Jesus, it's not just that even though life is hard right now, there will be something coming at the end of time that is so remarkable that it will make up for all the losses that you've experienced in this life. No, what Paul's saying here is that these losses that you experience will somehow be transformed into wins for you. These assaults that life throws at you will not only fail at destroying you. They'll only serve you in building you up. Now, how does that work? We find in these verses towards the end where Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let's go through these verses together quickly. How does death or life serve you as more than a conqueror? We know that when it comes to the ultimate destroyer of life that is death, that no one can escape it, right? It's a difficult reality that few of us are even able to fathom, right? No matter how close we get to it or through the experience of others. But with that being said, for some of us, maybe those of us here in this room or some of you that are watching... Life is even harder. You know, there are those of us for whom the prospect of death oftentimes is sweeter than even life itself. Now, under such an assault, what Paul is saying is the love of God enables us to say, along with him, in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where you say, as long as I live, I know that I'll be a force for good in this world because of the power of God and Jesus working through me. But if you were to take me out of this world through death, then I'll be with the God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So either way, that's a win. Angels nor demons or any other power 
Even if you were to have an army of hell charging against you and tormenting you, you'll be able to have the kind of experience that Paul had in 2 Corinthians 12. You remember that passage there? Right? Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh that uh, Michael mentioned a little bit earlier. Right? And this thorn in the flesh, the devil used to torment him. But when Paul turns to God, what does God tell him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, this thorn in the flesh that the devil used to torment him with, it only served Paul in creating, uh, cultivating humility and a profound, beautiful dependence on the grace of God, so much so that he was able to boast in his weaknesses. And that can be available for you too. That's a win. Paul talks about things present nor things to come. Right? Whether you're anxious about the present or what might happen tomorrow, instead of that anxiety destroying you, what if you could say with the psalmist, who says in Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. What if you knew that the passage of time is not an inevitable force that leads to decay? What if you knew that time is being moved by the hands of God who is unfolding the glorious story of the cosmos for you? What if you knew that the best is yet to come? In your anxiety, you can chalk that up as a win. Height nor depth. What if you knew that wherever you find yourself in, no matter how abandoned you may feel, what if you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 139, who says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. What if you knew that wherever you went, You knew that God knows you, that God loves you, and that he cares for you intimately, that he will never leave your side. See, wherever you may find yourself in, you can chalk that up as a win. So Paul's saying there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. Everywhere you turn, Paul is guaranteeing Because of the love of God that is in Jesus, you know that you'll come out on top. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. Here's how John Chrysostom, who was a preacher in the early church, put it. Yet those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all, that even without their will, they become to us the causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessings, and that God's wisdom turneth their plots unto our salvation and glory. See how really no one is against us. Friends, here is the assurance that you can have in the midst of all the assault that you're experiencing. That God's love for you will never, ever change. And when in doubt, all you need to do is look to Jesus. Because I've said this over and over, and it's said in the passage, notice this love of God is found in Christ Jesus. See, this is Jesus who said about us in John 10. He says this, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. No one. Hear the words of the conquering king who was willingly torn apart from his father, separated from his love, separated from his favor, cast into the deepest recesses of hell so that he can make us more than conquerors. Friends, do you see the victory that Jesus has won for you here? Now, let me just close by saying this. Redeemer Lincoln Square, you as a church, you've welcomed me, an imperfect, (laughs) deeply flawed, insecure, and immature pastor. And you've encouraged me, and you cared for me, And as a congregation and as individuals, you taught me more than I can articulate with words. And let me just say that I I love you and that I'll continue to be praying for you. But one thing that I plead with you as I go is this. Will you live knowing, knowing that you are more than conquerors, each and every single one of you, that you are more than conquerors? Will you live in this victory? Will you bask in, savor, and fight to the end of your days for this conviction that is available for you in the gospel? Because nothing in all creation, friends, can ever separate you from the love of God that is for you and is with you. In Jesus Christ. Let me commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you um, for this church, Redeemer Lincoln Square. And God, I thank you for Showing me, God, what it means to be loved, known, and cared for by this congregation. I cared for myself and my family so well over the last two years. And Father, as we come together under your word this morning, we ask that you would convict us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the assurance of the love that we have that is never going to change, that can never be separated from us, that is in store for us through your Son, Jesus. And God, as a church, may you be united by that love. May we hear the call to serve our city that is in desperate need of this message and this conviction. May we share it with them freely, even at great cost to ourselves. And so, God, we ask that you continue to unite us and send us out and convince us of this love. We thank you. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. 
We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.